Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland. I've got Clark with me here. Hey, Garland. <laughs> oh, good to have you back, everybody. Uh, we missed you last week. Um, we didn't get around to it, and I know you were on pins and needles, our Sermon Notes listeners out there for that episode, so we're sorry um, for not getting that one out to you, but uh, we're back this week. Um, we're continuing in our Daniel study. We'll be in Daniel chapter 6 this week. It is um, a, a passage that probably, even if you didn't grow up in church, there's some familiarity with it, I would guess, in Western culture. Um, it's the famous Daniel and the lion's den passage, Daniel 6. Um, so, Clark, give us the the big picture setting. We're working this chiasm uh, where things sort of fold in on each other, and this mirrors chapter 3. It so, does. two stories of, um, we might say, faithful Hebrews rescued from the mouth of certain death, uh, death and those are sandwiching chapters 4 and 5, which yeah. are the, the downfall of the arrogant pagan ruler. So give us the, the, the setting here in chapter 6. Yeah, they seem to be contrasted with the two prideful pagan kings, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And so uh, pride was their fall. What we see in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and with Daniel here in 6 are men in exile who are walking faithful with God in a humble way. So that seems to be the contrast, the pride of the kings with the humble exiles. And so we have a story here of Daniel and his interaction um, with his king that he's submitting to and following, and he's been set up in a trap, if you will, by two of his peers and the administration of King Darius and um, they're trying to catch him in something wrong, um, maybe due to jealousy, maybe due to fear of them being found out um, for how they handle themselves in the kingdom. Um, but they set him up um, to be disloyal, if you will, to the king here. And so um, the, uh, the condemnation or the consequences of that is that if Daniel was found out to be disloyal to the king, he'll find himself in the lion's den. And um, that's not where anyone wants to be. And so um, I think that what we have here is a picture of um, a faithful man in a dark place, and uh, he's trying to be faithful to God in the little things. And um, it's been very formative for me um, the last few weeks studying it as well. And... Um, uh, I, I wanted to commend you, Garland. Um, what I've kept coming back to is something that you mentioned in week one is this idea of the way of faithful presence. And so it may be one of your best ideas in seven years. And it's not even mine. Working. Yeah, it's not even yours. You've stolen it from someone. Yeah, somebody. Sure. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm going to play have a little play on words there, the way of faithful presence. I think what you have here is Daniel. He's fighting as an exile with the weapons of the way or the weapons of faithful presence. And so we'll see those here in the story, integrity, prayer, and submission. And most of us don't sign up to use those weapons. <laughs> okay, so let's, right. let's, let's remind ourselves. So I think this is one of those chapters that uh, due to the familiarity, um, especially like when you see the heading in your Bible, you know, Daniel and the lion's den, yeah. I think that most people, at least maybe I'll speak for myself, IME statements. I think oftentimes I get to a chapter like this and go, you know, been there, done that, read that, had the felt board of that, read the children's mm -hmm. story of that. There's not much to be gleaned from that. And 
one of the things that we want to note is that the book of Daniel is crafted in a way that it wants the reader to see uh, what loyalty to Yahweh looks like, even in the face of death. It's written in a culture, in a climate, uh, in an environment where um, those were the real choices of the day. Um, and it's, it's, it's written not to give us uh, manuals on how to be a good a good person or a a good Mm -hmm. Christian or something like that. Uh, It has real political significance in its day. It has real inspirational significance in its day. And it makes very striking comments, both about Yahweh and his sovereignty and about pagan rulers who uh, the people of Israel will, will languish under pagan rulers through the time of Jesus even. Um, And so it is functioning the book of Daniel in a lot of those kind of bigger ways. But one of the things we're going to look at this particular week is we're going to drill down and just try to learn as we've been walking through the way of faithful presence, uh, what does it look like to, um, we might say to stare down the enemy with certain as you're calling them weapons. And so, mm-hmm. um, yes, the book of Daniel, uh, it's not a treatise on a, on a how to live right. Although it certainly gives us some really fascinating principles that we yeah. can learn from. And I think the ancient reader, as well as the modern, uh, I think the careful reader, the wise reader was able to read the book of Daniel or Daniel chapter six and go, I get what it's trying to say. Let's, let's look at how Daniel operates here. And act accordingly. And so give us some of these weapons. You articulated them. What are they? Yeah. So integrity, integrity, where are we getting that in the chapter and submission? And so we see in, in what I would note, these aren't, um, kind of once offs or hit and runs where these just kind of pop up in his life. It seems to be that from his youth onward, Daniel has cultivated patterns in his life to be this kind of person. So when the showdowns come, He's ready to face them. His trust in Yahweh is emboldened because he's been practicing these things. He's become this kind of person. And so uh, when you consider integrity, I think, um, you know, we look here in what he's um, described of in chapter, in uh, verse three of chapter six. It says, He distinguished himself among the other commissioners. He had an extraordinary spirit. This is the NAS. And because of that, the king wanted to give him more uh, responsibility. Um, it says that when the other governors or the other administrators tried to accuse him, they could not find anything wrong with him and how he governed. There was no ground of accusation, no evidence of corruption, which I think in the Old Testament what you see is a pattern of bribes for those who would rule or for judges that would rule. Um, they were willing to take money, or if you might say the word kickback, to rule a certain way um, or to bend in how they lead. And there's no evidence of corruption there and no negligence in his work. We might was, say it this way. was found in him. The old adage, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we use it all the time, but it seems relatively true if you look at human history. And yet here we have Daniel, and he's been placed in position of influence and with some power, it seems Yet they can't find anything wrong with this dude. And the Um, only thing that they lean into, they're like the only way we're going to find anything wrong with him. If we press into what he believes mm -hmm. about his, what we'd call religion or his faith in Yahweh. So they push him into that. And they, as you move through the story, um, they push into this idea that if anyone prays to anyone else um, other than you um, to any other God, um, 
than you, or if they're disloyal to you, King Darius, uh, then they would be charged with disloyalty and be put in the lion's den. And so Daniel is found kneeling, and so that becomes our our second weapon, if you will, of the way. It's not just the way we live, our integrity, being a whole person um, behind the scenes and in public, but also his response to that is prayer. He doesn't fight back against their accusation. He goes into his prayer closet, if you will. He goes home and prays. And um, it says that, you know, if you just look at the prayer life of Daniel, I'm sure this is not something, this is not a once-off either, but you find him kneeling. Um, It's a posture of humility towards Yahweh. He actually gives thanks, um, it says, before God. Um, in his circumstance. That's also uh, similar to a phrase you might find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, and then this is what marked me as I read this, Garland. It says, as he had done, been doing previously. And so what we find him doing is something that he's always been doing. Mm-hmm. He's been praying daily, not only daily, but three times a day. And so this is not something new. He didn't Daniel didn't run to his prayer room in crisis because he doesn't pray much and he's reaching out to God. He, this is what he always does. And it says that he asked God for help here. And so that's our second uh, weapon of the well, way. If we could just dive, yeah. just lean it in there. As yeah. you're doing this in small groups, just those first two things, and, and you've pointed it out now uh, on both of them, a life of integrity and a, a deep prayer life. Neither of those. If you're in small group this week, uh, this might be something you can lean into, or if discipleship, or just listening to this as the uh, just studying your Bible uh, here in our church. Those are not things that you fall into accidentally. You don't stumble into uh, a deep abiding prayer life. You don't no. stumble into uh, integrity. It is something that is uh, practiced, modeled, um, fought for uh, over time, years even, and so as. As you're considering with your small group this week, um, one of my concerns, even at, at at a church, kind of a non-denominational, you know, we're contemporary in our worship style, and um, one of the things that concerns me, uh, especially thinking kind of my generation and down, is for a variety of reasons. Uh, it, I think there was a a move to get rid of what was seen as legalistic ritual. Um, in the church, like kind of in the 80s and 90s. And that was replaced with an authenticity, a spontaneity, this uh, this ability to really feel it, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised on that. I mean, you, you, you were looking for those highs. You want to feel it. If your heart wasn't in it, then it was somehow bad or legalistic. And I, can I just offer a corrective, especially maybe to, you know, millennial listeners and down, if you're leading a small group with people, uh, kind of 35 and under, um, that that's incredibly, uh, faulty and dangerous. Um, and here's why, if you think about it, if you want to be able to, to play a piece of music, I tried to learn uh, Claire de Lune, um, a few years ago on the piano and I, Happened to have to have piano lessons as a kid. I don't tell anybody that, but here I am telling it on this. And uh, if you want to be able to play something beautiful like that, or even to be able to uh, have a moment of spontaneity where in the in the chord structure you could play something even new, um, I was I, I struggled because just getting the first line finished mm. took hours and hours because it's all black keys. It was really difficult, but given time. 
even not fun time. It wasn't fun. I wasn't feeling it, quote unquote. Yeah. It's impossible to be able to play with spontaneity and beauty and authenticity without the time learning the scales and learning the notes mm. and take the same analogy on a, in a sports or whatever you, you know, if you're not a musician out there, um, there's a misnomer that if something has restriction, it therefore isn't authentic. We might, we, it, it just, it's just not true at all. And so if you're leading a group, if you're discipling people, don't be afraid. There's something about Daniel praying three times a day on his knees, giving thanks that I think um, creates a person of deep prayer life. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, for too long in my life, I've been afraid of ritual and mm-hmm. afraid of that, um, thinking it was you know inauthentic and legalistic. And uh, I'm I'm learning that uh, mm. you know I don't I'm not a great prayer. <laughs> I don't have a deep prayer yeah. life. Well, it's because I didn't practice that. Yeah, and both of, of these life. integrity and prayer are built behind the scenes. They're exposed for whether you have it or you don't in moments of crisis That's that, right. that could be yeah. public. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, these are the behind the scenes. These are the things that, that nobody sees. And so um, integrity and prayer. And then the last one, Garland, is this idea of submission. And what you see here as you move through the story is Daniel makes his way out of the lion's den. Um, you have a joyful king who doesn't believe what Daniel believes about who Yahweh is. And yet he's grateful that Daniel survived. And Daniel um, makes a comment, and he recognizes um, King's, King Darius's position. Oh, Darius, king, live forever. But then he says, um, I was rescued because I trusted in Yahweh. Um, but also he notes, he goes, I did you no harm. It's an interesting statement. Um, somehow in this narrative, Daniel was able to violate the edict by praying to his God, Yahweh, um, but also not dishonor the king. Even the king himself never felt dishonored by Daniel. And so it feels like there's a lifetime or a lifestyle of submission to authority, even though he's been given great responsibility, he's still under the authority of King Darius here. And I don't know about you, Garland, but um, submission to authority has always been a thing that I've struggled with personally. I have, I have no problem with that. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. We commiserate in our struggle As with I that. talk to my boss right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but Daniel seems to, and, and you know what? I think the reason he gets it is that he submitted to Yahweh yeah. as the true king. And because of that, these earthly expressions of authority, he understands that God or Yahweh is in complete control. It makes it easier to submit if you know God is working his sovereign plan. Mm-hmm. And so these three weapons, uh, integrity, prayer, and submission, they can almost seem weak or passive or cop-outs or ways to not take initiative. But I would say for anyone leading a small group and in your discussion, if you're processing this, ask me how easy it is to walk in integrity at work. Ask me how easy it is to be a one who prays behind the scenes with no glory three times a day. And then ask me how easy it is to submit to pagan authorities of the world who seem to have a disdain for you. Mm-hmm. How difficult is that? Yeah. And it reminds me that only in Christ, as New Testament followers of Jesus, 
can we walk in the spirit of integrity of prayer and of submission? And then we see the, um, I don't want to miss this. Uh, I don't know how much time we'll have to get into this um, in our teaching on Sunday. But if you move through the end of the story, you then have a king who, get this, he says he wrote to all the peoples, the nations, and the men of every language. It, it makes me think of Revelation 5.9, Revelation 7.9. It makes me think of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Um, this idea that all the peoples of, of the ethnic groups of the earth would know or be blessed by Yahweh. And then Darius's charge is this. He now makes a decree that everyone in the kingdom of the Medo-Persian kingdom, that they understand that this is the true and living God who will endure forever. His kingdom is one that won't be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He rescues, he performs signs and wonders in heaven and earth, and he's delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so it's interesting that when we walk in integrity, when we walk in prayer, when we walk in submission and we trust that Yahweh is in control, that God works his great plan to let all the nations know that there is a God in Israel Mm -hmm. and that they're to be a light unto the nations. And then ultimately we see that, and we'll celebrate this through communion on Sunday, Jesus was, and I know I joke about this, he's the better Daniel. You talk about integrity, you talk about prayer, and we think about his submission to pagan authorities. All three of those things are in play on the Passion Week of Jesus. And because of that, the Gentile nations of the world now have the good news of the gospel. And it's spreading to the remaining some 4,000 or more people groups of the earth, even as we speak. And so that's great news. And so the, the end game is, it ends up not being about the rescue from the lion's den. It ends about being who rescued him from the lion's den, the glory and the fame and the name of Yahweh. And so that's good news for us. So at Garland, it's been incredibly spiritual um, uh, forming for me is I've tried to had opportunities to apply some of these things in my own life. And I think for those leading in our church, those of you that are listening to this, lean in, not necessarily to the lion's den, but lean into the God who rescues. Mm-hmm. And be one who fears the God of Israel. Be one who, in a, in a way that, that builds integrity, in a way that, uh, you know, the lack of our prayer life, Garland, uh, reveals our dependence or independence on ourselves. Um. And then when it comes to submission uh, to authority, most of the time we're offended in those spaces because we like to have control and we don't trust that God's in control. So reveals a lot of dark places in my heart, I know. It should be a fun week for us. Yeah, yeah lots of process. Be. It's going to be a lot of application. And so um, as you're, if you're listening to this, be thinking through your personal prayer life, be thinking through your integrity at work, and be thinking through those authorities that God's placed in your life and how you respond to them. It's going to be very practical. You can't hide behind the pride of a king. You can't hide behind a weird vision this week. 
<laughs> this is going to get wait personal. Till wait, wait till next week. <laughs> it's going to get and weird. We're going to see you, t- you talk about some strange structures. Oh, can't wait. Yeah, I got that one. Well, just if you're listening to this, we, we've done this on purpose and we're trying to make it, uh, you know, something you can work with in small group and discipleship. But it, I'll be honest, same thing, same thing for me. I've been thinking a lot about Daniel in my real life. Uh, the books come alive to me. So the way of faithful presence, practically seeking the good of the culture, courageously resisting the idols of culture and trusting humbly that Yahweh's king of the culture. And you're giving us weapons. And by the way, these weapons sound an awful lot like the weapons we see a uh, New Testament author pick up as he talks about a, uh, following Jesus in the Roman empire in a city called Ephesus in Ephesians chapter six. And you'll notice those weapons are things like, uh, you know, a breastplate of righteousness and a belt of truth and shoes of the gospel. Yeah. And you read that and you go, where's the attack? Um, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, we follow our King Jesus, and uh, he's a different way to be human. It's the kind of way we need. It's the kind of kingdom we need. And, and it's uh, always been the way. Yeah, it's the way. And Daniel is pointing us to ultimately to Jesus. So let's continue processing this together in community and in discipleship this week. And uh, thank you for listening to Sermon Notes. Have a great week. <laughs>